people are worried. One of the governors of an eastern state said after struggling with the decisions concerning our nation, the crisis that exists, that he would go home every night and sleep like a baby. He said he would wake up a couple of, after a couple of hours crying. We all know how he feels. Who has not been outraged by the proliferation of pornography in our land? Who is not troubled about the pressures and problems our homes are facing? Who is not disturbed at the general collapse of morals in our country? And who is not upset by the disregard of human rights, not only in America, but around the world? And who is not dismayed by the increasing emphasis on materialism? Who is not appalled at the corruption that continues to be uncovered at every level of state and national government? I'm as aware as anyone of these problems. But rather than using this sermon to launch another of our annual tirades at what is wrong about America, I want to strike a positive note. Rather than focusing all our attention on what the unrighteous are doing to make things wrong, I want to focus these moments on what the righteous can do to make things right. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, first of all, we can take time to celebrate. When the Continental Congress adopted the historical re resolution declaring independence from Great Britain on July the 4th, 1776, John Adams wrote his wife, Abigail, an exultant epistle. And in this letter he said that Independence Day should be celebrated with pomp and parades, with shows and games, sports, guns, balls, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forever. We Americans have taken his advice. From the beginning, this day has been a time of celebration punctuated by patriotism, parades, and pageantry, and I think that's good because I believe that we Americans have something to celebrate. Our nation is a nation whose foundation was firmly rooted in God. Some iconoclasts of our day have tried to deny our godly origin as a nation, but a close look at history would prove them wrong. The Virginia Charter of, of 1609 says, quote, the principal effect with which we can expect, expect or desire of this nation is the conversion of the people in these parts unto the true worship of God and the Christian religion. The Pilgrim Charter of 1620 states that its purpose was, quote, to advance the enlargement of the Christian religion to the glory of Almighty God. Before the pilgrims stepped off the Mayflower, they signed a Mayflower Compact, making it clear that the move to the colonies was being done for the glory of God. In 1630, the Puritans came to our shores and said, we're entered into covenant with Him, that is, with God, for this work. In 1632, when Maryland was chartered as a colony, they wrote, we are motivated with a pious zeal for extending the Christian religion 
The North Carolina Charter read, This work was begun, quote, for the propagation of the gospel. Rhode Island Charter reads, We are to pursue this with my most holy Christian faith. A British governor was sent by the Board of Trade of Great Britain to the colonies to govern the affairs of trade between the colonies and Great Britain. And he responded with a letter to their concern over the lack of cooperation by the colonies like this. If you ask any American who is his master, he will tell you that he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ alone. The final sentence of the Declaration of Independence, signed July the 4th, states, For the support of this declaration with a firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Eight days after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, when the Liberty Bell was rung, it had printed on its side a quote from Leviticus 25.10, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto the inhabitants thereof. Kenneth Scott Latterett, one of the American's most eminent historians, said, The American dream is, Christian, is clearly of Christian origin. America is a nation whose foundation was firmly rooted in God, and that's something to celebrate. Ours is also a nation whose fathers were firmly committed to freedom. From the beginning, we have chosen, we have been committed to liberty as one of our chosen inalienable rights of man. And our nation has served as an example whose pattern other nations have virtually followed. Said one historian, all of the nations recently emerging from colonial status have felt obliged to justify their revolutions by declarations couched in language similar to that utilized by the Americans in 1776. America has been the trailblazer in freedom and human rights, and that's something to celebrate. Ours is also a nation whose fate has been determined by men firmly dependent upon God. Our history reveals this pattern there was Benjamin Franklin leading the patrons to pray at the Const Constitutional Congress. There was George Washington in his first inaugural address saying, quote, it is now my fervent supplication to that almighty being who rules over this universe that his benediction may consecrate the liberties and the happiness of the people of the United States. There was Thomas Jefferson praying, Almighty God, who has given us this good land for our heritage, we humbly beseech thee that we may always prove ourselves to be people mindful of thy favor and glad to do thy will. There was Abraham Lincoln saying, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. And there was Roosevelt in his first inaugural ending with these words, In this dedication of a nation, we humbly ask the blessing of God. May He protect each and every one of us, and may He guide me in the days to come. At the deepest dimension of life, America, has been one nation under God, and that's something to celebrate.
There are other things I could say. America is the oldest republic to have emerged from a revolution with the same constitution adapted then. America is one of the wealthiest nations in the world, providing us a lifestyle unmatched by most of the world. True, we have some dirty spots on our national linen, but nevertheless, I believe we can say about America what the psalmist said about Israel, God has not dealt thus with any nation. The first thing we need to do in this time of uncertainty is to take time to celebrate God's rich blessing upon our nation. That's what the righteous can do. Second, we need to take time to cultivate the things that really count. At the close of the Constitutional Convention of 1787, Benjamin Franklin said, We have given you a republic if you can keep it. That's the challenge of every generation. In every age, we need new Paul Revere's to ride through our cities and across our countrysides to remind us that our heritage is not just an heirloom handed down from one generation to another, but that it is something that must be relived, rewon, and reinterpreted with every new generation. We need to shout from the housetops that eternal diligence is still the price of liberty. We get our priorities so confused sometimes. In 1985, we Americans spent $3 billion on movies. We spent $250 million on mouthwash. And in Egg Harbor, New Jersey, there's a retirement home for elderly dogs with yellow-tiled bathing facilities where people are paying up to $140 a month to have their retired dogs taken care of. Now, I like to go to movies every now and then, and I'm all for mouthwash, and I like dogs. But somewhere along the line, we're going to have to decide the things that are really important in life and commit our lives and our resources and our finances to cultivating these things. Integrity, that is important. That needs to be cultivated family life that is important and it needs to be cultivated. You need to go home and care for your children. Our religious institutions, they are important and they need to be cultivated and they're neglected and ignored. Ministry to single, single adults and senior adults, that is important and that needs to be cultivated. Freedom for every person to realize his God-given potential that is important and it needs to be cultivated. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We can commit ourselves to cultivating these things that really count, but how? Well, first of all, it must be done individually. Strong nations begin with individuals. The place to start is for every Christian to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We must put first things first in our home. We must be the salt that preserves that which is worthwhile in life. Second, it must be done collectively. There is only so much that an individual can do, but joined with other individuals, our power is multiplied many times. Third, it must be done politically. 
It will be a sin against God if, those, if these critical times we Christians, in these critical times we Christians try to live in isolation from the political process and procedures of our nation. We must vote. We must express our opinions. We must participate at the local level. And if you can't be a politician, you ought to support one and try everything you can to influence one, to protect those values, institutions, and laws which will help our nation to continue to be one nation under God. We often hear the statement of Carl Schurz, our country right or wrong. But that's not all of that statement. This is what he said, our country right or wrong, when right to keep it right, when wrong to put it right. That ought to be the commitment of every Christian citizen. We must celebrate God's blessing on our nation. We must cultivate those things that really count. And thirdly, we must communicate the good news. William Penn said it long ago, men must be governed by God or they will be ruled by tyrants I believe that. I believe that the only hope for our nation is the good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. And we need to communicate that message to our nation. And do you know that there is a, never been a greater time, in my opinion, when the gospel has been right? Some months back, George Gallup the famed pollster reported that there is a growing evidence that the United States be, may be in the early stage of a profound religious revival. We dare not miss it. He said that the people of this nation are hungry for something which will satisfy the deepest longing of their souls. We have it. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody told that he went out visiting in Atlanta, Georgia. He said when he knocked on the door, this lady came to the door and she said, come on in. He said, I came to see if I could visit with your husband. She said, well, he's upstairs taking a bath. Come on up. He said, oh, no, I'll, I'll come back some other time. She said, no, he wants to hear what you have to say. So he said, I went upstairs, went into the bathroom. There this guy was lying in the bathtub taking a bath. He said, I shook his hand, told who I was, what I was there for, and, held, and, and left a little track on the, night, on the stand there by the bathtub and left, said, I'll come back tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Came back the next night, a man was saved. We can spread the good news, and there is a hunger for that in the land. And we can meet the conditions for revival in this country, those conditions God has already assigned if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes, he said, will be opened and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. History records that positive reformation is always preceded by national revival, and more specifically, 
National revival is preceded by a revival in God's church and among individuals who are called by His name. Gypsy Smith was asked how to start a revival. He answered, go home, lock yourself in a room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, mark all around yourself, and ask God to start a revival inside the chalk mark. When He's answered your prayer, the revival will be on. There are three general observations worthy of our attention on this 4th of July celebration. These and I'm through. Number one, God is willing to bring revival to America. The fact that God revealed a plan to Solomon in ancient past for revival indicates His willingness to move among His people and restore fellowship with them. These are conditions which must be met, but when they are, God says, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. The purpose in praying for revival, which we need to begin, is not that we may overcome God's reluctance to bring revival, but that our reluctant hearts might be brought into concert with God's heart and His will for our lives. We do not pray in order to get God's undivided attention. We already have that. Instead, our prayers expose the bareness of our heart, which prompts us to seek God for a mighty work of His grace. Second, God is waiting to bring revival. In 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7, 15, He says, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. God is watching and listening for our response to His call for revival. Tucked away among the phrases, If my people who are called by my name will pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, are the great promises and resources for revival. God is simply waiting for us to heed His request. Finally, something is wanting on our part. If God is willing to bring revival and waiting to bring revival, then why doesn't revival come? The answer is simple. Something is lacking on our part. The prerequisites for revival, that which is wanting, is clearly spelled out. If my people will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. Revival is ultimately a sovereign work of a holy God. And yet God in His sovereignty tells us that He is, not, that he is predisposed to bring revival to those people who exhibit the earnest desire for revival by seeking to meet clearly stated prerequisites. Is it too late to turn back? Hopefully, for our nation and our individual lives, the answer is no. Certainly, genuine, national, moral, political reformation must be preceded by genuine spiritual revival. But history clearly reminds us that God is under no obligation to heal the land of a people who are constantly and consistently rejecting Him. And so two boys got a bird 
and cupped it in their hands. And they went to the old sage, the, the city philosopher, to see if they could trick him. They asked, is this bird in my hand dead or alive? If the old man answers alive, they were going to crush the bird. He was going to crush the bird to death. If the old man answers the bird is dead, they were going to let it fly away. And so they called the old man out before the crowd and said, Old man, what is this in my hand? And the old man said, I reckon it's a bird. And the, old, and the boy said to the old man, Is it alive or is it dead? And the old man said, It is as thou will it. This is a time to celebrate. It's a time to cultivate the things that really count. It's a time to turn back to God. Will we? It is as thou will it. May we pray. Our Father, God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we pray. We pray, God, that you will bring to our heart the sense of the greatness of our heritage, an awareness of the importance of a spiritual reformation, of a time of repentance and prayer, seeking the face of God. I pray this morning that not just for America's sake, but for our sake, for this church's sake, for this community's sake, we will humble ourselves, pray, seek your face, and turn from our wicked way that you may heal our homes and our land. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Now I'm going to give an opportunity this morning for those who need to come make a public response, an opportunity to do that. Perhaps you've come this morning without Christ in your heart. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ. You are free, but you're not free indeed. The scripture says you shall know the truth. That truth is Jesus. He shall make you free. And when he makes you free, you're free indeed. Perhaps you need to come this morning to place your life in the church or to recommit yourself to God, to your home, to God, repenting of an inconsistent lifestyle, inconsistent Christian lifestyle. Whatever God lays on your heart to do in this moment, we invite you to do while we stand to sing.